This is Everyday Life. In Bel Air. In Edgewood. Baltimore. In Harford County. You drive. You try to be on time. You work hard. Hang out with friends. Play. Run errands. Cook. Go to bed to do it all over. Could this ordinary life somehow be more? Mean more. Matter more. Wherever you live. Whatever you do. You were meant to live a life on mission. Well, hey, Mountain. Sure good to see everybody. If you're a guest, welcome. Super glad you're here. My name is Ben. And we always uh, say hello to our two campuses and anyone joining us online. Just everybody's welcome. Really glad you're here. Uh, we're starting this new series called Life on Mission. It begins kind of this weekend. Hey, do you know why you're here, by the way? See, that's why we need this series. Not some of us don't even know why we're here. We're going to talk about why are we here. And uh, it's going to be, I think, fun and uh, energizing and, I think, important for us to be able to get a better handle on that. I love this quote by Mark Twain. We've been using the two most important days of your life are the day you're born and the day you figure out why. It's a really uh, important thing to, to just come to grips with the fact that God has us here for a reason. We're still here for some purpose, and uh, life is going by quickly. For some of us, a little more quickly than others, apparently, and I'm feeling that. I'm a little bit older. i got a birthday coming up. i got sags and bags and aches and pains, and I'm feeling it. How many of you feeling it a little bit? Life's moving by, right? I always appreciated that scene from City Slickers. That old movie where Billy Crystal is trying to, he's going through this terrible midlife crisis and he's trying to explain it to these kids about what life's all about. It's a little depressing. How many of you remember that scene? Life kind of drably moves by and then uh, we die. Kind of, uh, kind of a not so great life on mission there. It's a little bit like this uh, friend of mine saw this scene the other day, took a picture of it. This is an actual scene he took of a cemetery in Missouri. Uh, <laughs> donations needed. <laughs> so yeah, so every one of us is going to make our personal donation to the local cemetery at some point. And for some of us, that's going to be, according to Billy Crystal, it's coming a lot quicker than uh, we might think. So the question is, while I am here, why am I here? What am I really called to do. God made us and left us here for a reason. What is that really about? That's what Life on Mission is going to help us get at. A chance for each of us to hear from God through His Word, through some good materials, through each other, but to get clear about hearing from God. What, what is my life about? What are some of the things that I'm supposed to be giving my life to fully? And then, and then, hearing from God and Him hearing from us. Hearing from God, what's my life to be about? And then Him hearing from us about what what I want my life to count for. I just really hope you'll do everything you can to uh, get the most out of this thing. Um, this is what we call an alignment. Every so often at Mountain, we just say, hey, all hand, everybody, let's do this thing together like we did with the story recently. This is one of those. We have some materials that we all read together. We do groups together. We... Um, we, we celebrate the weekends together. There's stuff we can look at on our own. And it just gives extra power and, and an extra oomph to, um, to our spirit when we do that together. So let me encourage you a few things, four things maybe. One, just 
be here on the weekend. Make a commitment to be here on the weekend. We schedule our priorities and make it a priority. You'll get more out of what we do if you're here. If you missed, catch up online, okay? Second, um, dive into the materials. Get yourself one of these workbooks. In it, you'll find daily devotional stuff. You'll find stuff you can do with your family around the dinner table. Also, it's the guide that we use in all of our groups, okay? So get the materials and dive into it. You can also get the separate book by my friend Tim Harlow. It's, it's a, a book you can do more reading on it, and it's also very good and will help you. Third, get connected with some people, okay? Get into a group. Uh, this is the right time. Over a couple hundred have already, that have never been in a group or aren't, weren't in a group, are now in a group as a result of this. We have over 260 groups to choose from, so find a place to connect. There are some mid-sized groups. It's not too late, so get to buy the connecting corner and figure that out today or call us and we'll help you. And then the last thing is just do the action steps. Every week at the end of the message, we're going to nail down one really specific thing that's not this big global life-changing deal, but one small step that every one of us can do that will get us moving in the right direction of a life on mission. So those are my encouragements. If you want uh, the action steps sent to you on an email or, or um, you know, just sign up for the, the Ben's Notes, check out the Facebook or follow me on Twitter or whatever, you'll get, you'll get all that stuff, okay? So, I, you know, I, speaking of, you know, groups, I was in one this week, a Life on Mission group. We were starting the materials and there was a guy named Chaz there. And Chaz, if you're here, love you. Um, but boy, he couldn't stop talking in the group because he was so excited. What happened to you, Chaz, this week? He's coming, he's, he got baptized. And his whole life is different. He couldn't stop talking about how, how much his life had changed. And, uh, you know, one, one thing, for example, um, he, uh, he had said, um, you, you have no idea how um, hard it is uh, to be angry all the time. You have no idea how hard it is. And Jesus had kind of rescued him from that and set his life on a whole different trajectory. So the, it was just a great example of what happens when God comes and gives us his grace. And now it's like he was saying, okay, now what? You know, I've been saved from something. What have, what have I been saved for? And then we began the Life on Mission study and Chaz is figuring it out. So I don't know where you are. You might be where Chaz was, where you're still trying to figure out where you are with God. This is going to be a great series for you. You're going to hear about how compelling Jesus is. And I hope that you'll be open to that. You might be like Chaz, where you, you're on the other side. Jesus has done something in your life. Friend, you need to know this. Jesus didn't just save you from something. He saved you for something. That's your life on mission. We love that verse in, in Ephesians Two, that talks about how God has, by His grace, reached out to us. Verses 8 and 9 say, It's by grace you've been saved, through faith, not of your own. It's not because you worked for it or you did anything to earn it. God just loves you and His grace. That's how it works, y'all. But then we forget sometimes verse 10 is just as important. It's the linchpin. It says, For we are God's handcrafted workmanship. That's what you are. Created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which He has prepared for us to do in advance. You're God's workmanship created to do something. I love the way the message puts it. He creates each of us by Christ Jesus to join Him in the work He does. God's created you, not just, He didn't just save you from something, He saved you for something, and He's created you to join Him in the work He does. So, 
That's where we're going to find our life on mission is we give our life back to God and say, I want to care about the things you care about. I want to be, I want to invest in your mission, God. What is God's mission? Well, God's mission was one of love, right? Love in action. And the way it sums it up, the, the best verse that sums it up probably of any is the one most popular verse maybe known to anyone. Let's put it on the screen. Everybody read it together. Ready? John three sixteen. Ready? For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in Him shall not perish but have eternal life. Wow. God is on a mission. God has a mission. And it's a mission of love, and the love led to action. And in that action, He humbled Himself and entrusted that mission to the Son, Jesus, who came, and He put love in action. Didn't Jesus do that? That's what Jesus was all about, putting love into action in order to, to reach to the people that God was trying to reach on His mission. And then, in the same way that God humbled Himself through Jesus to do the mission, God humbled Himself even further by now passing the mission onto us. Jesus, by His Spirit, not only demonstrated that love, but then He passed on that love. John 17 says, as He says to the Father, Father, in the same way that You gave me a mission in the world, I give them a mission in the world. You are invited into a co-mission. You've been commissioned in what God is wanting to do in the world. As, as Jesus said in John 20, as the Father has sent me, so now I am sending you. And the most important verse for you to circle in your Bible, if you still have pages in your Bible like that, or you underline it on your little electronic thing, the most important verse to circle there is the word you. I just hope that happens for you, that you can hear Jesus saying, as the Father sent me to put love in action and help draw all people back to Him, now I'm sending you. And friends, that, that's what God wants your life to be about. Now, it may not be you. This may not be for everyone. Um, I can give you a couple of quick diagnostic tests to tell you for sure whether that you applies to you. Okay, so first one here, take your fingers and put it over here and put it on your wrist and see if you feel anything pounding and beating around in there. If you feel anything thumping, go on to step two. If you don't, you're done, okay? <laughs> step two, put your hand in front of your nose and mouth and see if you sense any little breaths coming out of the orifices. If yes to both A and B, then guess what? That you is you. And you have a life on mission and God's inviting you into His work, what He does. That's why, that's why J Jesus says, I'm sending you. Paul could then respond to that and say, the most, Acts 20, the most important thing in my life is that I complete my mission. Don't you want to get to the place when you make your donation to the local cemetery, you can say, I completed the mission that I have. I am, the work that the Lord Jesus gave me to do, I've done it. Yeah, you want to be able to say that. And Paul goes on to say what that is. To simply share with people the good news of God's grace. See, Paul's a guy who figured it out. He figured out why he was here. He figured out his life. Now, before that, he thought he had it all figured out. He wasted a lot of years. He almost made his cemetery donation without figuring it out. Paul was heading off down the road of his life. In fact, one day he was heading down the road, literally, to go kill some Christians because he, he didn't care for them at all. He thought he had things all figured out, and God grabbed him, shook him around a little bit, and said, Paul, I want you on my mission. Instead of doing your own thing and pretending that God, God approves, he says, I want, you, I, want to show you, I want you on my mission. And Paul said yes, and it became 
it became the all-consuming, most important thing in his life. I'd give anything if that happened to you in this day, in this series called Life on Mission. That God would grab you. Because some of us, we're on our way. We think we got it all figured out. Some of us are like, Paul, we hate Christians. Some of us are, are like, well, we think we got Christians all figured out because we're one and all that. But we don't have much urgency or heart to it. The mission of helping people connect back with God through Jesus by putting love into action in a way that leads people to Him is where Jesus left us. He came, He put love in action, then He says, now I'm getting ready to leave, y'all. I'm going to leave my spirit. My power will come and it will make things happen. I still have a body on earth. It's just, I've just changed bodies. It's the body of Christ. Now that's you. That's you. And that's when he said, Acts 1.8, you will be my witnesses. You're going to continue to give witness to what I can do, to my power, to my truth, to my love, to my hope. You give witness to that. You, you tell about it. You explain what's happened in your life. And you do it in Jerusalem, right where you're standing right now, in Judea and Samaria, which is like kind of the strange, weird places that I might not like those people, and even to the ends of the earth. But you start right where you are in your Jerusalem. And the most important thing in that verse, Acts 1.8, to circle today, is not witnesses or anything else. It's this word, you. You. You're called to be a witness. And it'll only happen if you let happen to you what happened to Paul. Deciding that maybe you don't have everything all figured out if this isn't already your life mission. Let God grab you, shake you up, and invite you into His mission, which is love and action. To be a witness. Because there's a lot of people that still need God's love. A lot of people still need saving. They said the Titanic would never sink, right? Uh, so that was the last thing on anyone's mind when they set sail from Ireland for the last leg of the journey back here to the United States. But I think we all know what went down, literally. April 1912, over 2,200 people eating caviar and listening to stringed quartets aboard that great ship. It struck an iceberg that did it in. The captain knew right away that it was going down. And sure enough, within four hours, it was resting on the bottom of the ocean floor. And the chaos in those final moments has been pretty well captured in James Cameron's 1997 film with DiCaprio and Kate Winslet and all that. It's a gruesome, nauseating scene, isn't it? To see 1,500 people pitched into the dark, icy waters of the Atlantic. One minute, they're dancing in their formal wear, thinking they got life by the tail. And the next minute, they're flailing and bobbing in a life vest. And just reminds you how life is in the balance. It's like a metaphor for all of life. Some are going to live, some are going to die, some won't make it. And the ones who go in the water pretty much are goners. Oh, they may cling to a piece of wreckage for a while or have a life jacket that they think gives them some false hope, but really what they need, what only a few of them received, was someone else in a boat who could and would and who cared enough to bring that boat by that they trusted to reach their hand up so that they could reach down and pull them over, dry them off, and save their life. A lifeboat like this one. What makes this story particularly tragic is that it didn't really have to go down this way at all. I mean, not only did the, the crash not need to happen, but the lifeboat thing. The Titanic was designed to carry 65 lifeboats they had 30 some ready to go with this very trip enough of them for every member of every passenger and every member of the crew 
But they decided that many boats made the boat look kind of cluttered. So they only sent 28. And that wasn't enough. And the ones that did get filled sometimes didn't get filled full. Who do you know who needs to be in that boat? The moment I'm tempted to look at that scene and think, how could they, you know? How could people do that? Is the very moment I'm confronted with the fact that I I was in the drink. Jesus has been so good to me. He's blessed my life in so many ways. He's literally plucked me from the icy waters of my own sin. He's given me eternal hope. He's made my life better now in a million ways. And what I like sometimes a little too much is the fact that he's pulled me off and put me high and dry warmed me and fed me. And what I forget sometimes, maybe you're like me on this, is that He didn't just save me from something, He saved me for something. And that what He's really hoping will happen is that out of my gratitude and joy, I will want to now join Him in His mission and grab an oar and turn this boat around and go back and let my eyes and ears scan the water for anyone who's far from God who needs hope in Jesus Christ. Anyone who's living their life right now separated from from Jesus is going to spend their eternity separated from God and there's no worse misery or or suffering there would ever be than to be cut off from the love and the light and the hope and the joy of God in heaven so the mission matters it matters to God and it matters it matters to the people who are in the drink I know some of them are floating on stuff they think is going to hold them just fine. A lot of people are like, I don't want you Christians. I don't need your God. I don't need that boat at all. I'm not putting my hand up in faith. I, I know that. But it's not going to end well. So the good news is, friends, that God sent a boat. That's what, that's what Luke 19 really says. Jesus said of himself, he said, the Son of Man himself, I came to seek and to save what was lost. He's here, he's in the water, and there's room for everyone in, in the boat of Jesus, if you will. So we've got to get to the issue, and that is decide, do you want in that boat? And if you have said yes to Jesus, then the first thing you need to do, once you get dried off, fed, warmed, and loved on, is to realize that you're not just there for a joyride or a cruise. You're there to grab an oar and to help him on his mission. That becomes your mission. Because as Second Peter says, verse three, chapter 3, the Lord is not slow in keeping his promises. Seems like he'd never come, but he came for you. Instead, he's patient with you, and not only with you, he doesn't want anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. He wants everybody in the boat. So your life is on mission. You're an agent. You're a rower. You're on mission. You're, you know, and, and it can become kind of overwhelming at first. That's why Jesus maybe said it this way. He said, friends, look around. The harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. He said, ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field. Friends, the problem isn't with Jesus, it's with the workers. If, if the church in America, when you look at the reality today, the church in America, the American church is not really doing that well. Churches are closing every day, they're shrinking. And yet, here we are on a huge mission field. We live in this area called the Northeast United States. Seventy-some million people jammed in this corridor we call home from D.C. to Maine. Highest percentage of unchurched people anywhere in our country. 
We live in a county that has the highest percentage of unchurched anywhere in the state of Maryland. A lot of lost people. A lot of people bobbing around, clinging to some wreckage, thinking that they got it. America now makes up one of the largest mission fields in the world. There's 195 million people who don't go to any church. The percentage of Americans who don't claim any kind of religious worldview has gone from 15% in 1950 to well over 60% today. Far more missionaries are sent to America than are sent away. When Jesus said, when Jesus said, you be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the ends of the earth, you know where they were standing when he said it? Jerusalem, which means, yeah, we've got to care about Africa, but don't forget about Aberdeen. In other words, start right where you are, in your Jerusalem. So we live on a mission field, right? You live on a mission field. The problem is we don't always act like it. We don't always act like it. And that's one of the issues with the, with the American church and maybe even with some of us. Business consultant Peter Drucker, famous guy, lo- love his business stuff, he was asked, what's the most important ingredient to a successful business? He said, you've got to ask yourself every day two questions. Number one, what business are we in? And number two, how's business? What business are we in and how's business? Friends, if the church of Jesus today asks those questions, what business are we in and then how are we doing, the answer is not pretty. Because too often, too often, the harvest is ripe but, but not harvested. And the, if you ask me, it's not a problem with Jesus. It's a problem with the church with Jesus' people. Because when people think of Jesus, now think about this, when people think of Jesus, this is often uh, what, what they think, what they see. They'll, they'll see Jesus' attitude toward the lost is these compassionate arms outstretched in love, suffering and absorbing sin so he can set people free. Arms that said, I love you this much and gave his life. And then the arms that came off the cross to still embrace every single person. Jesus loves all people and people tend to know that. That's Jesus. But when people think of the church, Jesus' people, and the way they think the church feels about people who are far from God, this is more like what it's like for them and those are the outstretched arms of a scarecrow because so many people have been scared off by the church there's a church over there and we say we want people in but we can't seem to keep from scaring them away so we got jesus who's who's Love and compassion and truth and help and guidance and power is exactly what people are looking for. And yet, the fact is sometimes followers of Jesus don't look like that very much. Isn't that the truth? I mean, we've got the truth of the Bible. But instead of it being a light to someone's feet so we can help them find their way through the darkness, we use it as a club to beat them over the head. Don't you believe this, you idiot? Don't you see what this says about your lifestyle? You're going to hell if you don't believe like I do. And the response more, more often in our culture today is, no, I don't know what that Bible says, and why would I care if it ends up making me look like you? Scarecrow goes into action again. It's like paddling by in a lifeboat and using your oar as a, to play whack-a-mole with the people trying to reach up for help. It's like, bad person, bad person, bad person. That's not why God gave us the Bible. And yet sometimes that's what happens. I love what Andy Stanley says. It says it's time for insiders in the church to stop acting or to stop expecting outsiders to act like insiders while we insiders continue to act like outsiders. 
Or we, we hear that Jesus says, you're the salt of the earth, and we are. So yeah, go be salty. Salt doesn't do any good if it stays in the shaker. So figure out how to sprinkle it around because it preserves things, makes things better, and adds zest to life. It's important. That's what, one of our jobs. But sometimes some of us get the idea that more is better. Like Tim Harlow says in the book, remember in middle school when some jerk would unscrew the, the lid off the salt shaker and leave it there for you and you come by unsuspecting and you dump and a whole thing goes out onto your mystery meat at lunch, right? Does it make it better that way? The whole reason you were putting salt on is because it was bad to begin with. And sometimes that's the way we are. We just, are you making things better? Are we making things better? Sometimes people just wish we'd go away. But Jesus says, you're the light of the world. And light is so important because it can be beautiful and make things more attractive. It can also expose some things that are in darkness. It can be difficult, but the way to do it is not just drive your bright lights and flash them in everyone's face so they just want you to get out of the way. And that's sometimes how Christians are with this beautiful light that we've been entrusted with. Flashing brights, we're obnoxious, and with our picket signs and our demonstrations and our nasty comments about, on Facebook and our ugliness all over the place. Jesus said, point the way to Him. Point the way to him. Just get out of the way. Point. Well, we use our finger to poke people in the eye, or poke them in the chest, or wag a finger. Jesus, friends, he's, he's compelling. He said, if I am lifted up, I will draw all people to myself. If they can see Jesus, he's winsome and attractive. Now, the Bible says he wasn't good looking. That's not what we're talking about. In fact, he probably wasn't good looking. But he, his love drew people. And that's the love and action that we've got to get to. That's what it means to be witnesses. Jesus didn't say, you will be my judges. You will be, you will be my prosecuting attorneys. You will be my jury. You will be my bailiffs. No. He said, you'll be my witnesses. Acts 1.8. In Jerusalem, Judea. Jesus was never a scarecrow. Jesus came to invite everyone into a loving, safe boat, which is a relationship with His Father. That's why I love this church. That's why I love you. Because it feels like you, you want that too. Because it's happened to a lot of us. And we want it to happen to more. And that's why God's making this. This church is a church for people who hate church. This church is a church for people who don't go to church. This is a church for people who right now maybe don't like God or thinks He doesn't like them. <laughs> At one of uh, Christmas services, one of my pastor buddies said one of his interns came up with a concerned look. He says, I think someone's smoking pot in the men's room. Christmas Eve services. Of course, he didn't know whether to be concerned that someone was showing up stoned to Christmas Eve or that his intern knew exactly what the smell was. But <laughs> I know a lot of churches that would be pretty uncomfortable with those kind of people at their Christmas service. I can tell you one person who's not uncomfortable and that's the guy who invited him to his birthday party to begin with. It's the Lord Jesus. He's not uncomfortable with that at all. In fact, he's the one who said in Mark 2, it's not the healthy who need a doctor. It, 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 it's the sick. I've not come for the righteous, but the sinners. So, you know what? That guy who smokes pot is welcome at our Christmas Eve services, bleary eyes and all. And if that's you, you're welcome here because all we are is a bunch of beggars who found bread who's already saying, hey, we've got some bread. Would you like some? That's what we are. Jesus is the answer. So one day, Jesus was hanging out with the wrong crowd. You know, he was hanging out with women that were selling their body for sex. He was hanging out with people that were cheating the government. He was hanging out with people who were uncouth and crude and profane. And they said, if you knew anything about God, you wouldn't be associating with those people. And he said, oh, oh wow. You don't know much about the Father. He's like, okay. Um... 
you need to know about the father. He says, like, okay, it's like this. It's like this woman. She has like uh, 10 coins, okay? she got 10 coins, and she's getting ready to go out to the store, going over to Quick Trip, and, and, she, and she realizes that one of her coins is missing. She freaks out. She puts the coins down. She gets a broom. She sweeps every corner of her house, lifting up every cushion, shaking everything out. And you know what? She finds that coin. You know what she was? She does. She runs out front on her doorstep and yells to her neighbors, I found my coin! I found my coin! God says, that's what... Jesus says, that's what the heart of the Father is like. Over one lost soul. It's like a... It's like a it, it, it's, it's like a shepherd. He has a hundred sheep and he's getting ready to count them up at night and there's, a, there's only 99 of them. He's supposed to have a hundred. And his buddies say, hey, just go to bed. We'll look in the morning. He says, no, this is a crazy shepherd. He's out there looking. He gets his headlamp on. He's looking for that sheep. And when he finds that sheep, he comes home. He says, I found my sheep. That's the heart of the father. It's like a father who has two sons and one of them says, ah, leave me alone and goes away and wastes all the inheritance. And the father waits every day at the edge of the driveway and the son finally comes to his senses. He comes home and you know what he finds? He doesn't find a scarecrow. He finds something that looks a lot more like Jesus with arms open wide and he embraces that son even though the older brother can't stand it. That's the heart of the Father. And I begin to realize that maybe the biggest problem with the church is something that God is changing in us. And that is that matter of heart. To be like the heart of the Father, like a crazy shepherd, like a crazy woman, like a crazy father. That's the heart of God. So what about you? What about you? You know, when we start talking about this idea, sometimes we get freaked out. In fact, we always get freaked out. I mean, that's one thing Christians and non-Christians can agree on. You mentioned the word evangelism, we both hate the idea. Right? We get scared. I'm too busy. I don't know how. I have a past. I'm not perfect. I don't have a theology degree. If they ask me a question, I can't answer it. We've got a hundred reasons. It's because we all we misunderstand. Your life, it's your life that's on mission. And exactly as you are right now, you're created to do the mission God gave you to do. Right now. And it starts with a heart. It starts with who we are and allowing ourselves to care like God cares. You know, over in Matthew chapter 9, one, one day, Jesus, listen to this. This will help us, okay? This will help us because it's going to set you free. It's going to help you see, I can do that. Matthew chapter 9, Jesus went through all the towns and villages, teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom, healing every disease and sickness. Don't you just love what Jesus does? He still does all that stuff. One at a time. Plucking them out of the drink. But then it's like he looks up and he realizes after helping this one and that one, he looks up and he says, he saw the crowds and he had compassion on them. Because to them, to him, he saw them like harassed and helpless, like sheep that needed a shepherd. So he turns to his disciples, his friends, those who are already in the boat with him, and he says to us, man, look, the harvest is plentiful. But there's only a few workers. So ask the Lord of the harvest to send out workers into the harvest field. In other words, there's, you aren't enough and you can't do this on your own. This is bigger than you. Jesus knows it's bigger than us. He says, ask God. It's His job. And it starts, I think, the same way that it started for Jesus. If you look at verse 36, it says this. When He saw the crowds, He had compassion on them. He saw people. He didn't just see a sea of faces. He saw people. 
all around. Well, there's people around us all the, all the time, every day. I was in London a couple weeks ago, and, and this person told me the story. This young man started talking to him, and he said afterwards, he said to the young man, he said, you know what? I've been riding this train for decades, and you're the first person to ever look me in the eye and talk to me. And that can happen to all of us because we don't see people. So let me ask you, do you see people around you the way God sees them? Do you see people, friends, your, your own family? How about your neighbors or people you work with or work out with? You've got to begin by seeing people. It's not just our eyes, it's, it's our heart. You look at that verse again, it says, when he saw the crowds, he had what? Compassion. Somehow, Jesus, with the weight of the world already on his shoulders, he allowed himself to get wrecked a little on the inside because he saw what was at stake. And I think that's what God's calling us to do. You know that, that word compassion is a great word in the Greek. In the Greek, it's the Greek word splachna. You want to say it with me? Go ahead and say it. Splachna. You know what it means? It means bowels, guts, viscera. It means that when Jesus saw them, he ached and hurt down deep inside. And that's what he's inviting us to do. You don't have to have a degree to do that. You, all you have to do is be human again, to care. Do you feel and care for people around you like God feels and cares for them? And as soon as we can allow God to just help us care a little bit, he'll use us and our life will be on mission. You know, the Titanic story, it ended pretty ugly, didn't it? 1,500 people or so were, were lost. There weren't enough boats. People didn't care enough. It's tragic because it's real history. You can't go back now and send more boats. You can't go back and change the outcome of that. But our story, my friends, it's not over. Your life has a new mission that's maybe beginning right now or an intensified mission, or a, a sense of God coming alongside. See, we, we get to determine. We can, we're going to celebrate some things, friends, that it's going to happen as a result of this. We're going to change the outcome. Imagine the celebration over one coin. Well, wow, imagine the celebration over one person that might have a relationship with God as a result of something that you or I do together or individually on the account of God. Imagine the celebration in heaven. It's going to happen, friends. We're going to change the outcome of the story. It's not going to be like the Titanic. But we're going to need some more boats. We're going to have to build some boats. That's why we add services at Mountain. That's why we plant new churches. That's why we launch new campuses. It's why we say, hey, y'all, you need to move services, make room, park far away. Why? Because, because it matters and we've got to build boats. And we're going to give ourselves a great story to tell. And you are an important part of that life on mission. You're the one whose heart can be made to care. Eyes can be made to see. You're the one who can help this church not be a scarecrow church but a Jesus church you're the one who can build a boat and row it let me tell you what i'm talking about building a boat uh real practical b-o-a-t these are the things we're going to talk about every week from now on it's just gut level practical down to earth stuff that every one of us can do that will help us live a life on mission and really be useful to god to reach someone b b stands for build relationships Build into the relationships you have. Build new ones. It's just about being a friend. That's how you live a life on mission. Be a friend. Care about people in a genuine way. Don't manipulate them. 
Don't try to get something out of them. Don't try to get them to do something. Build a relationship. Open your life so they can see who you are. Build relationships. We're going to talk about how that works. We're going to talk about some of that next week. Oh, offer an invitation. At some point, invite. Don't just be casual and say hi on the train. Invite them to lunch, to have a conversation. Invite them to a sporting event. Invite them to something in your life. Invite them to your home. Invite them, invite them to engage with you in a real way that's human. And the Jesus in you shines through. It's not up to you. You just build relationship and invite. Invite them to your small group. Invite them to church. Invite them to Christmas Eve. Invite them to trunk or treat. Invite them to something. Good things happen. A lot of us are here because someone did that for us. A, ask God to do His part because this is His deal. It's His power, His outcome. He's just asking us to be witnesses. We think it's up to us. It's not. All we need to do is just pray that dangerous prayer. God, how do you want to use me? God, you do the work. And then T, be ready to tell your story when the moment comes. Just tell your story, you know? We know how to do that. Tell our story. Here's what happened to me. Here's my life. Here's what God did. That's a witness. So let me ask you a question. Here's the takeaway action point for this week. You ready? Who? Who? What's the name of a person that God's placing on your heart? Someone who's maybe far from God, doesn't go to any church, but has maybe got a relationship with you already. Who is it? That maybe God is hoping you will help reach. It, who is it that you may be the only Bible they read? You may be the only Jesus they meet to begin with. Who, who is it that you know? A name that, who, who needs light in their life and you know it. They need salt. They need it to be better. I'm not saying do you know how to do this or can you change them? No. I'm not saying who can you convert. Jesus didn't. Jesus didn't come to convert people. No one wants to be a project. I don't want to be converted. Jesus came to love people. Who is Jesus calling you to love? Who needs a friend? Who needs Jesus? Who's God saying, I'm sending you to them? And you can say like Moses, who, me? Or you can say, like Jonah, not me. Or you can say like the prophet Habakkuk, why me? Or you can say like Isaiah and Paul and Jesus and a whole lot of people sitting around you, you can say, here I am, send me. And God will, and he'll use you, and we'll change the way the story ends. Let's pray. God, we thank you and praise you for your grace in our lives, for loving us, for rescuing us, and for now just not saving us from something, but for something. And we we're, we're get a little freaked out about how to help you and serve you and know what to do, and we just discount ourselves. But thank you for lifting us up and saying, yes, I am going to use you. And so, Lord, we offer our lives to you, and we just say, for the sake of the world, would you burn like a fire in us? For your sake, for the sake of the people we know and love, that you know and love even more. Give us a story to tell, Lord. Make it epic. Make our lives on mission. We pray in Jesus' name. And all God's people said,